Welcome to Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show, Wake Up and Smell the Revolution. You're listening to our first show of 2024, and if you know Voices from the Frontlines, we always start with a punch. Today, we're going to be reading from this article, Benjamin Netanyahu are three prerequisites for peace. And as Eric will describe, this is Netanyahu's ultimate solution to Palestine. And spoiler alert, it's genocide. It's a holocaust, and it's much more. After which, Akuna Uka and myself, Channing Martinez, will be responding to the article with reflections of our own, um, in reflection to the article, but also in reflection to Eric. And next week, we hope to talk more about who are all of the different forces that are talking about and organizing against Israel's Zionism. Um, With that, we'll start the show. As always, you can listen to the Voices from the Frontlines podcast. And we're not in Fun Drive, but it is never a bad time for you to call 818-985-5735 to donate to KPFK right now. And you hear me talk about it every week, but KPFK is the center of this liberation fight for Gaza and for Palestinians, and we need your support. Benjamin Netanyahu's final solution to the Palestinian problem. It is terrifying. I know we are all terrified about the genocide taking place against the Palestinian people. We know that the South Africans are bringing charges of genocide. There's other groups, and next week on the show, I will try to have all the different groups bringing legal charges against the Biden administration, against the Israeli government, to charge them with genocide and to figure out what to do to stop well beyond even a ceasefire. But today I want to address a, tr- a truly terrifying, if I have to say completely explicit, call for wiping out the Palestinian people by Benjamin Netanyahu, our three prerequisites for peace, which he published in the Wall Street Journal, not inappropriately. And his headline is, We Must Destroy Hamas, demilitarize Gaza, and de-radicalize the whole of Palestinian society. I just think from the subtitles you understand that when he's finished, his goal is there will be no more Palestinian people on the face of the earth if he could help it. And you know that Hitler's final solution to the Jewish problem, and that was their term, was to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. They finally realized the only way they could solve the problem was through mass murder of six million European Jews. And Netanyahu, who was in a government with fascists by his own definition, is now planning it. So I want you to read, or I will read carefully, and I'm going to do it almost, if not sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, Textual analysis, because it's too terrifying. 
Okay, this is Nehyanu. Hamas must be destroyed. I'll just start there. No, the United States did not destroy Japan's army. Nobody destroyed. Hamas must be destroyed means that everybody in Hamas, friendly to Hamas, must be destroyed. Gaza must be demilitarized, again, which means getting rid of Hamas. And Palestinian society must be de-radicalized. De-radicalized means even getting rid of the idea of Palestinian self-determination. We're going to de-radicalize the population to the point where it's completely suppressed and depressed. These are the three prerequisites for peace between Israel and its Palestinian neighbors, that's funny, in Gaza. First, Hamas, a key Iranian proxy, stop, must be destroyed. Why must Netanyahu talk about Iran? Because he's trying to win people over that Iran is one of the few independent anti-imperialist states in the Middle East and so, obviously, he's encouraging the West to destroy Iran as well as Hamas. The U.S., U.K., France, Germany, and many other countries support Israel's intention to demolish the terror group. No, the U.S. built on genocide, the United Kingdom built on genocide, France built on genocide, and Germany built on genocide support Israel's intention to carry out genocide against the Palestinian people. To achieve that goal, its military capacities must be dismantled and its political rule over Gaza must end. Now here's a contradiction. Hamas won an election in Gaza. So first you're saying they're an armed terrorist group, but in fact they're mainly a political organization that resorted to armed struggle only after about 20 years of occupation. But now you're saying you want to wipe them out, so we're going to get rid of the communists, get rid of Hamas, get rid of the Black Panthers, so they can never come back again. So listen, because notice how he quickly says of its political rule over Gaza, not just its military capabilities, because he claims that the only reason that Hamas has influence in Gaza is because it's a military occupation, if you can imagine, of the Palestinians on themselves. Oh. Right? So, we must get rid of the Black Panthers because they are oppressing the black people. Hamas leaders have vowed to repeat the October 7th massacre again and again. Wait, when did they say that? Who said that? Right now you're involved with negotiations with Hamas over uh, prisoners, hostages even, but now you're saying Hamas has vowed to repeat the October 7th massacre again and again. That is not true. It may be somebody said that, but that's a completely constructed basis. The Native Americans have agreed to kill white people again and again. 
And that's why the white people must kill and wipe out all the Native Americans before they do the thing that we claim they're going to do. The ideology of genocide is so grotesque and clear. The attacker is always being attacked. The murderer is the victim. The people you murder are the terrorists. It plays very well among the barbarian white people because that's what they believe. The settlers must believe this. Dehumanize the people you're settling. That is why their destruction, keep saying destruction, is the only proportional response to prevent the repeat of such horrific atrocities. Anything less guarantees more war and more bloodshed. Now, let me take a minute. The concept of proportional response means if one side bombs something, the other side bombs the same thing. If one side commits this particular act, the other side, that's what's called proportionality. It's not proportional to drop a nuclear bomb on Hiroshima that never dropped a nuclear bomb on the United States. It's not proportional to wipe out four million Vietnamese who never did anything to the United States. And yet, when you listen to Lyndon Johnson, those Vietnamese are stealing our culture. We must go to Vietnam because the communists are going to come into your house. And I'm fighting for you. The fascist mind of the murderer feeling frightened of the people they're murdering is so systematic in the mindset. And remember, these are European, mainly Jews, who have taken over Palestine through the theory of Zionism. But check this out. Their destruction is the only proportional response. Now, one of my favorite although it's not quite favorite, there's a book called The Destruction of the European Jews. And in that book, the author documents how do you wipe out six million people? It's also based on the idea of Hitler's willing executioners because how many people were in the SS to arrest them? How many people snitched on their neighbors? How many people put them in the train cars? How many people, when they got out, gassed them? How many people took the gold out of their teeth? How many people marched in support of that? You can't destroy six million people unless the whole country is working to, to carry that out. So he's now talking about the destruction, not of European Jews, but the destruction of the people of Palestine is proportional to what? It's only proportional to the desire to make all of Palestine an Israeli colony and to get rid of all the Palestinians so that all of Palestine will now be called Israel and when he's finished, and I can wait till you finish this, there will be no Palestinians if he, if he gets his way. It will be an all-Jewish Israel getting along with the survivors of 
Gaza, who, as I will point out, will not exist. In destroying Hamas, note again, destroy the destruction of European Jews, the destruction of Hamas, Israel will continue to act in full compliance with international law, now Eric Mann, written by the United States, written by England, written by France, written by Israel. There is no international law except created by the imperialists. And if there's anything good in them, there's a clause that says, don't worry about it, we do not plan to do a damn thing about it. The United States refuses to accept any international rulings against itself. So continue to act in full compliance with international law. There is no such thing. International law is simply whatever the imperialists do at any given moment. This is especially challenging because an integral part of Hamas's strategy is to, quote, use Palestinian civilians as human shields. Hamas places its terrorist infrastructure inside and underneath homes, hospitals, mosques, schools, and other civilian sites, deliberately putting the Palestinian population at risk. All right, let's talk about human shields. In the war in Vietnam, the United States said, all the people are hiding in the communists. If you go into a village, that nice grandmother, you see, has a bomb. And guess what? She did, because you're in her country. And now that you accept that that grandmother had a bomb, let's kill every grandmother we see on the same grounds, which is their human shields, attacking our soldiers who are just attacking the U.S. soldiers who are in this country called Vietnam. So human shields, human shields is such a disgusting way of saying that the people of Palestine support Hamas. And therefore, it's as if they're so innocent, they don't like Hamas, but Hamas has them uh, captured as human shields to use against the Israelis, as opposed to that the Palestinian people are acting with free will against the occupation. But then, if they're acting with free will, then we have to admit we're murdering civilians. We can't admit we're murdering civilians, so we call them human shields. So Hamas becomes the perpetrator, and I'm trying to not kill those people, but I got to get to Hamas. I have no choice but to wipe out everybody I think is Hamas, everybody who might be Hamas, and so forth. But here it even gets more disgusting. Israel does its best to minimize civilian casualties by dropping leaflets. Okay, dropping leaflets, sending text messages, and using other means to warn Gazans to get out of harm's way. Hamas, by contrast, does its utmost to keep Palestinians in harm's way, often at gunpoint. So we tried to send George Floyd a text. I don't know if he got it. We tried to send Fred Hampton a text saying we were planning actually to assassinate him. We tried to tell all the people in Vietnam. We texted them. We emailed them. I don't know what happened. So we had to drop napalm on them because we warned them. So you were warned, 
to warn Gazans to get out of harm's way, which is their own already concentration camp that they live in, because they live in a concentration camp, not an outdoor prison, created by Israel. But you've got to get out of harm's way. Where? First, you've imprisoned me and put me in a concentration camp. Now you're trying to kill me, but you're going to try to give me a text warning before you murder me. And if I do, it's because Hamas had you at gunpoint. You know, I've spent my whole life, this is Eric, of course, studying genocide, starting as a Jew. It was the first thing I was exposed to. And the thing that's outrageous about the Indian schools that said our main goal is to de-Indian the Indians, to take the Indian out of the Indians. Uh, they want to I don't know what, de-Palestinian the Palestinians. Check this out now. This cruel and cynical strategies, in order for it to be ineffective, must place the fighting in the bigger battle of the civilized world against barbarism. And that's very critical because, you know, I always say the U.S. Europeans are barbarians. The people came to a civilized country, 16,000 years, there were indigenous people here. In 100 years, the barbarians wiped out 90% of them with guns, syphilis, smallpox, mass murder, rape. They did so because they were the civilized ones, and we know because the Catholic Church told them they were, and told them they had the right to kill any heathen who was uncivilized. Uh, Amé Césaire said that Europe is indefensible. Discourse on colonialism. But here, the leading barbarian Nazi in the world is saying this is a fight between civilization and barbarism, except it's the Palestinians who are civilized and the Israelis, all of them now are barbaric. Please don't tell me I'm in Israel, but I support this, but not that. I'm against Netanyahu. What are you doing in Israel? It's an occupying country. Israel has no moral right to exist. And the question is not, but you say that we're going to murder all the people in Israel, but the people in Israel should leave it. All the decent people in Israel should get out and give the land back to the Palestinian people. Second, Gaza must be demilitarized. We're back to Netanyahu. Israel must ensure that the territories never again, hear that? This is so clever. Never again uses a base to attack it. Among other things, this will require establishing a temporary security zone on the perimeter of Gaza, a temporary security zone meaning we're going to totally surround you already with military forces on the perimeter of Gaza, which is to kind of completely encircle you again with armed people that are going to kill you anyway. But it's temporary, don't worry, temporary. Maybe 15 years, 37 years, 
but it's temporary, so don't worry about it. Every word here is a filthy lie, but this is all the ideology of imperialism, all the ideology of European barbarism. Check this out. Establishing a temporary security zone in the perimeter of Gaza and an inspection mechanism on the border between Gaza and Egypt that meets Israel's security needs prevents smuggling of weapons into the territory. Now, there's a barrier between Gaza and Egypt. Egypt is in total complicity with the genocide against the Palestinians. Egypt and Israel collude on the surrounding of Gaza so it cannot be reached by air or land or water. People are demanding that Egypt open up that corridor to allow humanitarian aid to come in. That's the only way it can come in. Or it can come in through Israel, which is obviously not going to allow it. So what he's saying now is we must inspect the mechanism on the border between Gaza and Egypt that meets Israel's security needs, prevents smuggling of weapons into the territory. So if you bring food, there could be a weapon in there. Bring medical care, or there could be a weapon. Israel must inspect everything, which means nothing is going to get into Gaza. Nothing. People are going to die. More people are going to die. He goes on. The expectation that the Palestinian Authority, will explain, will demilitarize Gaza is a pipe dream. Now let me just go slow. There are two forces in uh, Palestine right now. The Palestinian Authority is on the West Bank. Hamas is in Gaza. The Palestinian Authority, be careful, but from everything we know, has been more conciliatory with Israel. Israel has rewarded them by settling up settler colonies inside, let's say here, Judea and Samaria, inside the West Bank. So basically, you keep all the Palestinians in a concentration camp, and then the other part, because it's totally split apart, the West Bank, the Palestinian Authority is trying to get along with Israel, but Israel keeps sending settlers into that. So basically, the Palestinians control nothing. But the Palestinian Authority can't come in. The more moderate force can't come in. Why? Because the Palestinian Authority currently funds and glorifies terrorism in Judea and Samaria and educates Palestinian children to seek the destruction of Israel. Cannot be proven. Doesn't matter. So now you have, it's not even good cop, bad cop. It's bad Hamas and bad Palestinian Authority. And therefore, the Palestinian Authority can have no authority. Forget about a two-state solution. There's only a one-state solution. And everybody is now a terrorist. Not surprisingly, the Palestinian Authority has shown neither the capability nor the will to demilitarize Gaza. No kidding, it, as you'll explain later, it failed to do so before Hamas booted it out of the country in 2007. It's failed to do so in the territory under its control today. So what it's saying is, there are some imperialists who are saying, let's bring in the Palestinian Authority. After we kill everybody in Hamas, they would be like the good Palestinians who would be pro-West, pro-Israel, 
and impose a dictatorship essentially over the people in, in Gaza. Bad enough, but Netanyahu said, nah, no Palestinians can be anywhere. So even the Palestinian Authority can't come in uh, to Gaza. And by the way, the Palestinian Authority is saying, I am not coming in after the bayonets of the Israelis. So you're going to set me up as a sellout. And they're saying, you're not only a sellout, Israel says, you can't even come in. And you're also a terrorist. And you're, that's why we're making settlements on your side. So we're basically taking over Gaza. We're taking over the West Bank. And you see where this is all going. The final solution to the Palestinian. For the foreseeable future, Israel will have to retain overriding security responsibility over Gaza. So let me summarize. According to Netanyahu, Hamas are all the terrible things he said I will not repeat. The Palestinian Authority apparently are terrible. And the people of Gaza are terrible because they're letting themselves be human shields. So according to Netanyahu, the Israelis have no choice but to wipe them all out. He's setting the grounds not just for genocide, but for mass extermination. Israel, just be clear, not the Palestinian Authority, Israel, for the foreseeable future, temporary. You know, the Americans only going to, you know, invade the Americas for, it's temporary, then they go back to Europe. Third, this is very serious, Gaza will have to be de-radicalized. Schools, parenthesis, my thought, run by Israelis, must teach children to cherish life rather than death as we murder children, this is Netanyahu, as we murder children in mass numbers in Gaza. And imams, uh, you know, Muslim clergy, must cease to preach for the murder of Jews. Who is preaching for the murder of Jews? Palestinian civil society needs to be transformed so its people support fighting terrorism rather than funding it. That will likely require courageous and moral leadership. Palestinian Authority leader Mahmoud Abbas can't even bring himself to condemn the October 7th atrocities. Several of his ministers deny that the murders and rapes happened or accuse Israel of perpetrating these horrible crimes against its own people, another threatened that a similar attack would be carried out in Judea and Samaria. Now listen to this one. This tips them off. Successful de-radicalization took place in Germany and Japan after the Allied victory in World War II. Today, both nations are great allies to the U.S. and promote peace, stability, and prosperity in Europe and Asia. Let me take a minute here. The United States never wanted to get into a war with Germany. The United States was very sympathetic to the Nazis. Both parties. One, hate, one loved them, the other was willing to live with them. It was only when the Nazis started to realize they were going to take over all of Europe that the United States had to get involved. 
The United States made an alliance with the communists in the Soviet Union, in Vietnam, in China, mainly in the Soviet Union and the United States, to defeat Hitler. The Soviet Union is the only force that really fought Hitler and lost 26 million people as Hitler invaded the Soviet Union for almost two years and only the so-called Russian winter and they moved further and further away from their supply lines. But it was only after they got all the way into Russia that they began to lose. And as they left, they burned down everything, everything, so that Russia could not rebuild itself. After World War II, the de-radicalization in Germany and Japan was getting rid of the communists, not the Nazis. See, Netanyahu, besides being a complete liar, this is a big lie that has to be talked about. Who came to power in Germany and Japan after World War II? The Nazis and the fascists. They were rehabilitated, not de-radicalized. Where did all the Nazis go? That's my mom would always say. Where did they go? All of a sudden, nobody in Germany is a Nazi. The whole country was a Nazi in 1944, 45. The minute they lost, hey, I wasn't a Nazi, not me. The United States perpetrated the idea that there were only a few Nazis, and those were brought up on Nuremberg charges and murdered. So the United States can say, see, we got rid of the Nazis. Now, let's get rid of the communists. So, they got rid of the communists in Germany. They had East Germany for a while. They set up the McCarthy witch hunts at home. They put communists who fought the Nazis in prison. They dropped an atom bomb on Japan to terrorize Russia, to tell them that you're next. They left Russia in, in shambles with 26 million people dead and the whole country burned down. But they wouldn't give aid to Russia. They gave aid to Germany and to Japan, so when people say, we need a Marshall Plan for this and a Marshall Plan for that, tell them you're an anti-communist idiot, because the Marshall Plan was an effort by the United States to rebuild Japanese capitalism, to rebuild German capitalism, because they were afraid of communism. They didn't rebuild the Soviet Union. They didn't rebuild all the countries that fought Nazis. They rebuilt the Nazis. So this is what you're right about, Mr. Netanyahu. What did the Nazi Germany do after World War II is start giving money to Israel. So you've been taking money from Nazi Germany. See, they're all liberal, but what's Germany said it really wanted to make reparations for what it did. <laughs> did it give money to the Palestinians? No. Did it give money to black people? No. Because Israel created a Jewish state by its own definition then it could receive the money. If you feel bad about what you did to the Jews, give the Zionist project money, and therefore you give blood money to Zionism, in return we're going to kill the Palestinians. So Germany continued its genocidal policies after World War II. But he calls it de-radicalized. They de-radicalized not the Nazis, they de-radicalized the communists. It's like when... You know, J. Edgar Hoover said, 
Malcolm X and the Black Panther Party are the greatest threat to your society, and the only solution is to kill them, wipe them out, send them to prison for the rest of their lives. There's so many brothers who are dying in prison just getting out on so-called compassionate release so they can have a month to die in their own bed. That was the de-radicalization, all right? The de-radicalization of us. So what he's talking about is leaving Palestine broken, getting rid of its political leadership, getting rid of Hamas, Israel teaching the imam how to preach the gospel. So this is a full systematic program for wiping out all the Palestinian people and at best keeping a few of them under Israeli control. Because notice he says Israel will control the, the border between Egypt and Gaza. Israel will put a military program around Gaza. Israel doesn't like the Palestinian Authority and has got to deal with them too. Well, there will be no Palestinians left under this theory. More recently, since the 9-11 attacks as Netanyahu, visionary Arab leaders in the Gulf have led efforts to radicalize <laughs> their societies and transform their countries. Israel has since forged the historic Abraham Accords and today enjoys peace agreements with six Arab states, such a cultural transformation will be possible in Gaza only among Palestinians who don't seek the destruction of Israel. You know, the Palestinians do want the end of the Israeli state. They do. Most of them are willing to live with a so-called two-state solution because they have no choice, because Israel controls everything. But that's when the... Palestinians say, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They're saying, this is my country. I want an oil back. I do want an oil back. I may have to compromise, but that's not what I want. You start with what you want, freedom now. You don't say, you know, half of my freedom whenever I can get it. I just want to take a minute from the river to the sea. We live in the United States. What is the song you love to sing? This land is your land. This land is my land. From I forget where to the New York Island, from the redwood forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land is for you and me. But it's not. It's indigenous land. And you sing a song, a happy song. And for a lot of you, oh, Woody Guthrie, who was a pro-communist, oh, he wouldn't do a thing like that. He sure as hell did. He was an American, a white American, who loved America, but wanted to be socialist. So imagine if you're indigenous and you're listening to this land is your land. I'm sorry, all these white people singing and crying and holding each other's hands. And they say, it's not your land at all. And that's what from the river to the sea is saying, it's not your land. We start by delegitimizing you. We may have to negotiate with you, but we start with the moral question. The moral question it's not that we want to kill you as Jews. We want this whole project de-radicalized, de-fascistized, disintegrate, go away, go home, go somewhere else. We don't plan to kill you. We'd like you to please leave. But the Jews, very carefully, the Israelis, 
try to use the analogy of the Holocaust when they're the ones who are carrying out a Holocaust. It is shocking to me, and I'm sure scholars have done this before, you take every Nazi statement and then you switch it and you give it to the Israelis and the exact same Nazi statement is used against the Palestinians that was used against the Jews. Word for word, the destruction of the European Jews, the destruction of Hamas, the destruction of this, the eradication of this, the de-radicalizing of this, there'll be nothing left when they're finished. Just in case he isn't clear, his last statement. Once Hamas is destroyed, not negotiated with, but destroyed, which means I guess every member, every supporter, Gaza is demilitarized, which means Israeli occupation further, further, to make sure nobody in Gaza ever gets a weapon. And Palestinian society begins a de-radicalization process or a Israeli fascist process. Gaza can be rebuilt, and the prospect of a broader peace in the Middle East will become a reality. That's the end of his, and his real slogan is, Palestine will be free when there are no more Palestinians. Mr. Netanyahu is Israel's prime minister, and all the work that people are doing to support the people in Palestine, the firing of the president of Harvard University, the taking money away from Harvard University, let them do it. That's their job. It's our job to figure out how to fight back and keep building the resistance, and we will. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement-building show. Uh, heartbreaking, but I want to thank President Netanyahu for writing his own version of Mein Kampf.
This is Channing Martinez, co-host of Voices from the Frontlines. Welcome back. You were just listening to this article, Benjamin Netanyahu are three prerequisites for peace, and Eric's commentary on it. Now we're going to hear responses to that commentary from myself and from Akuna. Your reading of it is so important because it's what everyone is thinking and what everyone is saying in the street. And as an example, I mean, I mean, the one thing that I keep talking to folks about is that this is the Vietnam and the sort of Holocaust of our time. And it's scary to be living in this time. Um, and even when I think about just this holiday, quote, season, right, it felt like I was, one thing I was just reflecting this morning is that I feel like I just missed the holiday season because how can you be exchanging gifts? And how can you be putting up a Christmas tree and doing any of that frivolous capitalist stuff when there's literally a Holocaust and a genocide happening? And in my opinion, my, the, the one way you can... The, one of the ways you fight is you bring that conversation into everything that you're doing. Like, there should not be any post about happy birthday without saying, and free Palestine, right? To be quite honest, right? Um, and the interpretation of what he's saying is scary. I mean, for him to take even just the words of the Nazis and use that as justification for the murdering of Palestine, on one level, that is bad in itself. But on the other level, psychologically, it's like, um, I mean, the best example I can say, if I say is, it's like one of our students years ago uh, telling us about the Have a Good Day Cup, where at Roosevelt High School, there was a police officer that would follow students around, young women, uh, shouting at them, have a good day, have a good day, have a good day. And the young women would be scared because, like, what? You're a white guy in a uniform, you know, walking around with a gun, threatening us to have a good day, otherwise you're going to shoot us, basically. And it's the same thing. How can you use the very oppression that was used against your own people as justification for then your people to then murder other people? And that sort of psychological flip is so scary. I, and then the last thing I, I'll say is, within your reading of this, is for them to have the same playbook over and over again, I don't know what to do. And I feel both hopeful and I feel like enraged, but I also you know, have to acknowledge that feeling of like, a deep sinking feeling of like, what do we do in this moment? Where they are still taking, basically using the exact same playbook that they've used against, uh, you know, indigenous people, uh, the same playbook that they used in South Africa, the same playbook they used in the Americas, right? And they're getting away with it all over again, even as our folks have fought for years and hundreds and thousands of years against the same playbook. Well, one thing is I think the positive, I'm going to talk about that next week, and I think what you said is good about have a good day, 
is um, I do think the Palestinians feel a lot more hope. I, I mean, I talk abstract. I think Israel knows it's in grave danger. It doesn't know what to do about it. There's a lot of internal contradictions in Israel. There's big contradictions inside this election. Wait till you see this election coming up. What is Biden going to do? Because he's now called Genocide Joe. And, you know, this is not going away. This is the good thing about what you just said, that when Vietnam happened, that's all we talked about. That's all we, I swear, I went to prison for it. We never, I don't remember ever having a day we didn't talk about black people and the war in Vietnam. That's all, if you go to a restaurant, that's what people talk about. Today, they're talking about themselves. I think that's slowly changing, and I think, we, I'm not talking about false optimism, you know, I'm a strategist, but I think all the people doing international strategy say that Israel may last 10 years, 20 years, but if you look at the long trajectory, this is a project that's failing, finally, of its own horror, which is not the same as, you know, I'm not trying to make any facile observations. The horror is still the horror. So I'm glad you, you know, listened to what I had to say. Channing, I really appreciate your comments. This is Akuna Uka. In reading and hearing you read the article and me being able to listen to your response to the arguments, it made me think about how dangerous it would be to read this article because there are some key words that you broke down, like the destroy, the demilitarize, the de-radicalization, that on face, I see a lot of people just hearing those key words and thinking, oh, that sounds like a good idea. He's uh, making an argument for peace. These sound like three reasonable uh, things that would be needed in, in order to accomplish it. And so what I think was most important for me was to be able to hear your analysis alongside the reading of the article, because when you get underneath, well, what does it mean to destroy Hamas? Who does he mean when he uh, discusses Hamas, what does that mean, human shield, and what does that give Israel permission to do, then that's actually a much more dangerous verb to destroy, right? Because it's not to destroy evil or to destroy terrorism, it's to destroy a people. Uh, the de-radicalization as well, that, you know, on its face, that sounds like, oh, if there's a radical group and they're terrorists, oh, that sounds like a good idea. But then when we get underneath it and it's like, well, what does it mean to de-radicalize? Radical refers to the root. And the root really here is that Palestinians demand to be free. That is the root. And so to de-root, to de-radicalize that means we're not trying to destroy terrorism. We're trying to destroy the will for a people to be free. And use this then as a reminder to the rest of the world that imperialism is still in power, that empire is still the rule of the day. And that is so scary. And, and when you went into the detail of the means through which we, you know, the de-radicalization would occur, one, the religion, two, the schools, I mean, that completely scares me because that's going completely beyond any sense of, you know, military safety 
or uh, political strategy. You're trying to get at the culture of a people. How can we get Palestinians to no longer have the desire to be free through their religious beliefs and through their education system? Uh, and that, to me, is part of the scariest uh, aspects of the article that that's going to keep me up at night. Um, but I also really do appreciate Channing your comments because it reminds me of all of the forces that are fighting against these efforts, um, both obviously in Gaza as well as here in the U.S. So, hey, um, heavy day, huh? Um, I don't know if we were off mic or on mic, but I was saying that, you know, when I go, this is Eric Mann, you're on KPFK, 90.7 FM, thank God we got you, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. Um, please, if you like this, uh, we're going to put it out as a podcast through an email, right, Channing, and then you'll be able to forward it. It means a lot if you send an email of response to Eric at Voices from the Frontlines, Channing at Voices from the Frontlines. You know, we work very hard on this show. I think this is a really good commentary because he put his stuff... Netanyahu put his stuff right in writing in one of the most overtly fascist set of ideology, and I think I did a good job of deconstructing almost word for word because it's such a brilliant playbook. Is Now, that's different from my book, Playbook for Progressives, The 16 Qualities of a Successful Organizer, which you should read. Um, so last thoughts on this heavy... But important day, uh, I want to say again that next week I'm going to do studying this week on all the different um, countries and forces that are bringing uh, charges of genocide against Israel. That's real. And we're going to be talking about ways you can support it next week. This was my effort to contribute is uh, the war of ideas. So everybody, this has been a... a Heavy day, heavy week, heavy life. Um, this is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Front Lines. I'm very happy to be in studio with my comrade, Sakuna Uka, who's director of uh, volunteer programs at the center, Channing Martinez, my co-director, our co-directors. And check out the Strategy Center. And on January 25th, uh, we're going to be having a film showing called The Great Debaters where Akuna and I are going to debate. And more importantly, you'll see, a, not more importantly, as well, you'll see a great film with Denzel Washington. Check us out on thestrategycenter.org. Channing, last ways to find us. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Frontlines, the first show of 2024, as always. We want you to go to www.voicesfromthefrontlines.com right now if you are hearing this and sign up for our weekly newsletter where you'll get a link directly in your mail both to listen to this show live and a copy of the podcast in a second email. Um, you can listen to Voices from the Frontlines on your favorite podcasting site, including Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, 
and every podcasting site that you actually currently follow. As always, we want to hear from you. We want you to send us emails to Eric at Voices from the Frontlines and Channing at Voices from the Frontlines. And if an email is too much for you, leave a comment on SoundCloud. But we want to hear from you. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you next week. And all power to the people. This is Channing Martinez, co-host of Voices from the Frontlines and co-director of the Strategy Center. As you can see from the show, the Strategy Center is starting the year in a jetting mode. And as part of that jetting mode, we have two events that we want to invite you to. On Monday, December 15th, the Kingdom Day Parade will make its procession as usual down King Boulevard and down to Crenshaw Boulevard into Lamert Park, right in front of Strategy and Soul. That day, we'll be activating our sidewalk and having popcorn and snacks and political books and t-shirts and everything Strategy Center and revolutionary-wise. Uh, Come down and celebrate Dr. King with us at Strategy and Soul, December 15th, 3546 West Martin Luther King Boulevard. On January 25th, the Strategy and Soul Film Club is returning with the showing of The Great Debaters, followed by a lesson by Eric Mann and Akuna Uka on debating strategies, followed by, you heard it here first, a live debate between Akuna and Eric, the subject to be announced. If you do want to hear reminders about both of these events, go right now to the strategycenter.org and sign up for our mailing list and you'll get an announcement and a link to get tickets to the film showing and a reminder to show up on December 15th. We hope to see you then.